Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. about declaring war on the enemy last week, and we kind of peeled back uh, what it would look like to use the word and declare a war against the enemy. But that was a really defensive position, and God wants us to become offensive. He wants us to go into the dark places and to shine the light. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And the reality is that whether you are a believer or a non-believer, you're subject to the fallen world, right? The circumstances around us The world is a fallen place. Jesus didn't say, come to me and I'm going to make the world around you perfect. I'm going to make all your circumstances perfect. Actually, he told us quite differently. So our job as believers is to respond differently to what is going on around us, right? Because we're called to be a city on a hill. We're called to be salt and light, right? We're called to be messengers of the good news, and we're called to manifest God's glory in this fallen, broken world. James 1, 2 through 4 says this, if you could put that up. It says, consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. That word consider, the word consider in the original language means the leading thought. It means the thought that would have authority. And what Jesus is saying here is that we should let it be the leading thought, that joy would be the leading thought whenever we face a trial a circumstance that is unfavorable by the natural mind, or persecution, that we should consider it. The word consider means that there's a choice. You have a choice in what to think about. You have a choice in how to view a circumstance. And God is saying, consider it pure joy when you endure hardship. Because what is it going to do? What is it going to do? It's going to make you mature. It's going to show you that your faith is really something that you can stand on when you come up against a hardship. This is how God wants us to see trials. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13 says this. This is not something that happens once in Scripture. Over and over and over again, God tells us that these things are going to come. But he gives us direction. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as something strange were happening to you. How many times do we say, I mean, I know I have. I thought I gave my life to God. Why is this happening to me? God, why are you letting this happen to me? And this is why our minds need to be renewed in the word because God says over and over, do not be surprised. There will be testing. There will be trial. There will be temptation. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But... Rejoice. Rejoice. Inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If we are not surprised, if we walk through these trials, if we trust Jesus through the trials, through the hardship, no matter what is going on in our lives, 
His glory will be revealed in our lives. We will be the light of the world because we are still subject to everything going on, but our response is going to look completely different. We will manifest the glory of Jesus. First Peter 1, 6 through 7 says this, and this is just to continually confirm that Jesus, this is the way Jesus told us to walk in. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That word, prove, proven, means that we must put it to the test. If we want our faith to be genuine, it must be tested. How are we going to know that it's real unless it's tested? How are we going to prove something unless it's tested? It's only in the contrast of darkness that light can be proven. And that is why God has given us his glory inside of us so that in this dark world, we can respond differently. And listen, I'm not, I'm not blind and, and like not compassionate. Like I know there's real trials in this room. And as I was praying over this, this, this week has been an incredible trial in my family. Incredible. I mean, every single person in our house has gotten the flu. Every single person. My car key broke off in my car. It was, un guess what? I need my car key to be whole to start the car. $600 later <laughs> for a key. Then my, my youngest gives my dad a hug. <laughs> Pulls him down, he cracks his head open. It has been a really intense week. Not to mention when you can just feel the oppression of the enemy. When you can feel something dark over your life, right? We can feel that. It's been real. And, and God was showing me, like, don't speak this word at them. I'm a part of this. God, God first gave this to me. I know that there is real trial in this room. I know there's people with sickness. I know there's people with addiction. I know there's people with anxiety. I know there's people with fear. I know there's people with loved ones that you're just crying out for. I know that it's real, but God is reminding us that we can consider it pure joy when these trials come. He wants to remind us that we are the light and the salt of this earth, and that if we don't respond the way that he's asking us to respond, people are going to miss Jesus being revealed. They're going to miss Jesus being glorified because he chose us. He put his presence in us to be able to speak differently, to respond differently to these things. Yes, there is real heartache. There's going to be real feelings. It says, consider it pure joy. And I love this because the word consider means to, to put it first. And God showed me that doesn't mean you're not going to feel these other things when you're having trial, when things are going on, when, real, when your life feels upside down, you're going to have real feelings. But the first thought needs to be the God thought, which is, Jesus, I'm going to consider this pure joy. I trust what you're doing, and I trust you. And we have the ability to take whatever thought is exalting itself above Jesus and make it obey the authority of Christ. 
Our minds are designed, I know that I say this a lot, but I'm just going to remind you. Our minds are designed to think of one thought at a time. One thought at a time. You cannot think of two thoughts at a time. You can think of thoughts quickly, but you cannot think of one thought, more than one thought at a time. So if I'm going to let this thought lead of pure joy, the other thoughts are going to have to bow to that authority. No matter what is going on with Christ in us, we can endure it and reveal through us his glory. Romans 8, 28 says this, and we all, I, I'm pretty sure you've all heard this, this verse. It says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So what does that mean? It means in the midst of a trial, God is still working good out in your life. And when we allow him to work that in us, what happens is a praise that we literally cannot contain. You see it here. A lot of people know and understand this concept. And if you do, then let me remind you of it. Let me remind you that God is working out each and everything in your life, each and every hardship, each and every trial for the good in your life. For the good in your life. God has always worked in trials, tests, and suffering. David was tested when he was supposed to be up against a giant. His faith was tested. He was given a slingshot and a stone. How many times do we feel like all we have is a slingshot and a stone to take down the giants in our life? And Jesus is saying, that's enough. Put it to the test. Whatever I say to you, put it to the test. Consider it pure joy because your giant's going to fall. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were placed in a fire because they would not bow down. They would not compromise their faith. They were placed in the fire. They went in the fire. They were in affliction. They were in persecution. They considered it pure joy. They walked into that fire, and Jesus stood in the midst of the fire, and they came out, and they were not burned. But I love this. Tasha Cobb, she's a worship leader, Tasha Cobb, she said this, and I was like, man, that's so good. It doesn't say that it wasn't hot in the fire. In fact, in the scripture before, in 1 Peter, I believe it was, it says, don't be surprised by the fiery trials. We are going to feel the fire, but it will not overcome us. We can consider it pure joy because Jesus is going to be glorified through it, if you consider it pure joy. God wants us to be victorious. And I'm going to briefly share this story with you about Joseph. It's a big story in the Bible. And... Uh, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and I always go back to it because Joseph was Jacob's son. It was his favorite son. He had 12 sons, but, but Joseph was special. He made him a coat of colors. Joseph had promises over his life. He was, he was the golden child, and because of that, his other 11 brothers absolutely hated him. They hated him so much. They were consumed by hate for Joseph, his 11 brothers, because the father loved him so much. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes, okay? This is a real person. This isn't just some made-up story, some fantasy. This is a human being with real feelings just like you. One day he had a dream that these brothers would bow down to him. And he told the brothers this, and they said, mm-mm, we hate him even more, and we're going to kill him now. We're going to kill our brother. They decided to bring it. He met them in a field, and they decided they were going to throw him in a ditch. His brothers, who were supposed to protect them, that was always 
Jacob's uh, direction, protect your brother. Instead, they were going to kill him. They threw him in a ditch, and, and then last minute they said, you know what, let's not kill him, let's sell him. So they sold him into slavery. They sold Joseph into slavery. Put yourself in Joseph's position. What do you think you would be feeling right now? Do you think you would be rejoicing? No. But it never says anything like that about Joseph. When he was sold, he was sold to Potiphar. Potiphar was one of the Pharaoh's right-hand men, Pharaoh in Egypt. So he served Potiphar faithfully. And it says this, it says that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And this is what's highlighted over and over again in the story, that as Joseph was sold into slavery, he worked unto the Lord and he found favor. And that favor not only fell upon Joseph, who was just sold into slavery, that favor was shown and shined down upon Potiphar's house. He was literally kind of mirroring what we're to be here as, as Jesus carriers. The blessing fell on, on Potiphar's house because of the favor of the Lord on Joseph's life. And because he served faithfully, not grumbling, not complaining, not blaming, but he served faithfully and he found favor. Then one day, Potiphar's wife came and said, you look nice, you serve nice, sleep with me. And you know what Potiphar, uh, Joseph said? Joseph said, absolutely not. That is a sin to God. I would never do that. And he ran away from her and she grabbed his cloak. And then she cried out, rape. She falsely accused Joseph. She falsely accused Joseph. And when Potiphar came home, his wife told her, and guess what happened to Joseph? Thrown in jail. Not one mention of him defending himself. Not one mention. He was thrown into Pharaoh's jail cell. And in Pharaoh's jail cell, do you know what one of the first lines about Joseph it says? He found favor with the Lord. The Lord was with him. He found favor with the wardens. Guess what? The wardens put him in charge of, of, all, the other, of all the other people. He was in charge of all the other people because he was serving faithfully where he was at. He was not complaining. He was not grumbling. He was manifesting the glory of God. He was loving God through every single circumstance. Then one day, two of Pharaoh's servants, the cupbearer and the baker, they're locked away into the jail cell. They have a dream. Joseph comes down and says, what's wrong with you? And they said, we had these dreams. We don't know what to make of them. And he said, well, God knows, so let me just pray to God. Joseph interprets the dream. The cupbearer is going to be restored, and unfortunately, the baker, he's going to be impaled. I can't imagine giving a word like that, but um, <laughs> sure enough, that's what happened. And as the cupbearer was restored, Joseph said, don't forget me. Don't forget me. Tell Pharaoh about me. You know what the next line says? Oh, crushes my heart for Joseph. <laughs> two years later. Two years later. How many of you feel like you're in the jail cell two years later? I know there's a lot of people. The Pharaoh has a dream. And the cupbearer says, whoa, I forgot. I did the wrong thing. 
let me tell you about this man. He interpreted my dream that said I would be restored. So maybe he can interpret your dream. So they bring Joseph up, and sure enough, God gives him the ability to interpret the dream, and he is raised up to a position of authority. There's going to be seven years of just abundance, and they're going to collect food, and then there's going to be seven years of famine, and Joseph is going to be in charge of rationing that and giving, giving that out. I say this to say that we never once hear Joseph complain. We never hear him defend himself. All we, all we read is that wherever he was, he glorified God, and he found favor, and I believe that God wants us, wants us to see our lives and do this with our lives, see our lives in this way that we would bring glory to him no matter what. And if we focus on the purpose of our lives, each and every one of you, the purpose of your life is to bring glory to God. No matter who you are, sitting in this room, whatever job you have, whatever, you know, um, hobbies you have, your purpose through all those things is to glorify God in that. And I just want to talk about, very briefly, a few things that can get in the way of seeing God in our circumstance in this way. First is blame. When I blame others, I miss seeing what God is doing in me. And how often do we do that? How often do we blame other people and reject responsibility, saying that it's their fault? No, it's because they did that. And when we do that, we do not understand that we're missing out on what God is trying to do in us. We allow ourselves to play the role of a victim. And when we allow ourselves to play the role of a victim, we're not trusting in that Roman scripture that says he works all things out for the good of those who love him. I'm not saying you're not going to be victimized. Being victimized is real and that happens. But in Christ, we don't have to be a victim. We don't have to stay in that place. I know that he's going to work all things out for the good of those who love him. So no matter what is going on, I don't have to blame other people and point the finger. I can just say, here I am, God. Do what you want with me. Have your way. Glorify yourself through me in this circumstance. No matter what it is, I want to be the light of the world. You live in me. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? It's easier to blame everyone around me and to point out their flaws and their shortcomings, what they have done or what they haven't done, instead of just stepping into what God is asking of us. There is a surrender that needs to happen in those moments for you to grow. A surrender to say, God, you are able. You must say yes to the transformation. You must embrace the change. You must say yes to the opportunities of stretching, no matter how they come. Be committed more to growing in him, to saying yes to him, than somehow justifying your disobedience by what others are doing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Complaining and grumbling when I complain and I grumble, I miss out on the joy that God has given me as a birthright in him. I miss out on the peace that he has placed in me, and others miss out on seeing that I am different than them because of Christ in me. Philippians 2.14 says this, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that they may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And I love this. It says, then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky. 
Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky. We need to look different. We need to walk different. No matter what is going on around us, that we would speak out the things of God, that we wouldn't complain and grumble so that we can shine in the darkness. We need to look different. We have to. We can't afford not to. It's the purpose of our lives that we would manifest the glory of Jesus through our lives. He chose each and every one of you to manifest himself through. That is his main method of revealing himself on this earth is you guys. You. Not the person next to you. I'm talking to you. The other thing that gets in the way is exalting how we think things should go. Even if we say, I know God wouldn't do it that way. There are many times in the Bible where God chooses to do it a way that I would never think of, never in my life. If we exalt the way that we think things should go versus glorifying him in the midst of what's happening, we're never going to respond the right way. We're never going to take accountability. We're always going to justify our disobedience. And God highlighted this to me when I was... um, Speaking to somebody here, Philippians 1, 12 through 13 says this, and this is Paul, and this is after he has been in jail in Rome. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I don't know about you, but getting locked up for the gospel, I might be like, oh, I don't think this is the way it's supposed to go. This is so evil. But Paul is saying right here, this has happened to advance the gospel. How many times in our lives are we proclaiming like, this isn't right, but are we really surrendering to God? Are we really trusting that he is able to work all things out for the good? And if we act like Joseph and serve God no matter what is going on, if we bring, bring light, serve him wherever we are, he will work everything out. He is able to bring us in and out of circumstances. But we should know this, that no matter where we are, we trust by faith that he is going to advance his purpose in our life. And this is, uh, really briefly, I'm so sorry, this is... Uh, I woke up on Saturday morning at 3 a.m. and I heard the Lord say, tell him I'm good. The only way that we are going to be able to rejoice, the only way that we're going to be able to see our circumstances as uh, something that we can get through is if we understand God's goodness. We need to be sold out on understanding his nature and who he is. He is a good God. And although it says that he will work all things out for the good, that shows his greatness and his redemptive purpose, but that, not, that is not his design. It's not God's design to have evil things come into our lives because otherwise in heaven, evil things would happen. His nature is good. His nature is literally heaven. There's no evil in heaven. There's no disconnect from him. There's no tears. There's no disease. So we need to remember that when we're in the midst of these sufferings, in the midst of these trials, that our God is good. He's working out everything that's good for us in this. He's good and we need to cling to that. A.W. Tozer said this, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what comes to your mind when you think about God? The first thing. It's the most important thing. It will shape how you respond to your life. 
Even if you say, I put God first, what's most important is what you think about him because that's really what's going to shape you. What do you think about God? And God is saying, you need to be sold out on his goodness. So what is his goodness? Look at the life of Jesus. He literally brought the kingdom of heaven to earth. That is his goodness. He is the healer. He is the provider. He is the one who rescues us. He is our hiding place. He is peace. He is joy. He is comfort. That is Jesus. That is abundant life. That is abundant life. So in the midst of our trials and our suffering, we must remember that he's good and this is who he is. This is who he is, that we're subject to this world and because of that, we're like Christ in our suffering to this world. But he is good and he desires to rescue us from this. And if we don't understand this, we are going to sit in circumstances, in demonic attacks, and we're just going to say, you know, this is just the way it is. We're not going to fight the way God is saying to fight. We must know of his goodness. Over and over in the Psalms, over and over in the Psalms, David said, you're good. Your goodness, over and over. This is a characteristic that throughout the whole Bible describes God. And Jesus even says that God is the only one who is good. God is the only one who is good. So we cannot compromise. And I know that there's a lot of questions. If God is good, why is there evil in the world? And I love this. Bill Johnson said this. Don't sacrifice what you know about God to be true for the unanswered questions. Whoa. Scripture is clear. God is good. God is good. Why does evil exist? Scripture doesn't perfectly explain that. There's questions that we all have. But I know that God is good. And you need to know that God is good. And you need to rest assured that he's good, even in the midst of your trial. We have to know that. Just because we have unanswered questions. He's still the healer. Sometimes people don't get healed. Guess what? He is still the healer. Sometimes I'm broke. He is still the provider. He is still good. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? His nature doesn't change. We don't have to make excuses for him either. He does not change. Can the worship team come up? In the midst of our trials and our suffering, Jesus wants you to reveal who he is. But first, you need to connect to him. You need to abide in the vine. You need to be really connected to Jesus. And I wanted to share um, my little secret. <laughs> because during this week, there's a lot of times where I was tempted by my flesh not to manifest the glory of God. Where I was tempted to think otherwise that God is good. Where I was tempted to speak out, where are you, God? What have you done? And instead, I want to tell you about this little secret <laughs> We talk about it a lot. We talk, our, our whole mission is beholding him to become like him. But beholding is something that you need to put into practice. And especially in the midst of trial, especially when you're fighting with somebody, especially when you have a disagreement with somebody, especially when you're at work and things aren't going the right way, you must turn inward. That's my little secret. That no matter what is going on around me, and I, I pray that every single person. This is the key to finding success. In the midst of trial, in the midst of hardship, it's turning inward. And I forget where we were, but we were praying and the Lord showed me somebody biting off a piece of banana. This is silly. 
and the banana being in their belly. So often we search for God outside of ourselves. In the midst of hardship and trial, we're like, like I said, where are you, God? But his word is clear that if we confess him, he makes his home in us. The kingdom of heaven is within. So instead of looking outward, my trick is to get still and turn inward. See, I can do it in, the front, of, in front of all you guys. You don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but it's turning your attention inward. That bite of banana rested in that person's belly. And he said, just as that, that's how real I am inside of you. That's how real my spirit is inside of you. It's not some lofty idea like I'm in you. I'm inside of you. Stop. Pause. Turn inward. Don't look for a feeling outside. I am in you. I'm inside of you. The kingdom of heaven. Your fuel, your ability to respond to rejoice no matter what, it's inside of you. And I want you guys to close your eyes. Put your hand on your heart. Close your eyes and put your hand on your heart. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If we fix our eyes inward, we will feel the strength of our faith. He is the perfecter of your faith. He is in you, beckoning you to allow him to strengthen you through each and every trial. And as we turn inward, we will feel peace because he is peace. Peace exists in you. Comfort exists in you because he lives in you. It never leaves you. You just don't need to look for it outside of yourself. He is in you. Joy is in you. Peace is in you. The strength to respond differently is in you. And as you allow him to touch you, as you allow your attention to drift inward, you will be strengthened to follow his example. His example of enduring the cross, his example of enduring this world, his example of being a light to this world. If you turn inward, you will be able to follow that example. Thank you for listening to Home Church's podcast. To go deeper into the message, text DEEPER to 66866. If you would like to give to this ministry, you can text the amount to 631-693-4176 or visit us at myhomechurch.org backslash give.